Sam Darnold with time, looking deep downfield into the end zone. Touchdown Jets, Robbie Anderson. And the first TD throw of Sam Darnold's career goes 41 yards. Wilson will throw. That arm strength lays it right in there. Powell with the touchdown catch. 35 yards, and what a throw from Zach Wilson. Minus three with Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, sports fans. Welcome to another episode of Minus Three, presented as always by FanDuel Sportsbook. Tune in all season long, whatever that season is, for exclusive offers and odds boosts. FanDuel, more ways to win, and of course, when you're betting it, make sure you're doing it at fanduel.com slash minus three. That's the word minus the number three. Follow us along on social media at minus three pod. And uh, we appreciate you sharing the good word with all your pals and uh, and family and imposing the show upon them. Anyone who enjoys the Northeast region of our sports nation, that's specifically uh, what we're going to be talking about here. The AFC East, the AFC North, the NFC East, the East Division in the NHL, the Eastern Conference in the NBA. You get uh, you get what I'm talking about here. And Eddie Spaghetti is with us coming up in just a second. Spaghetti and uh, his pal Mikey Meatball is going to be breaking down the East Division. And before that, Sam Monson from PFF. Looking forward to kibitzing with him about what's going down in pro football right now. The big news Early in the week, Sam Darnold, doubt from the New York Jets, long rumored to be uh, on the uh, trade block, finally does get moved down to Carolina. We'll talk about whether or not Joe Douglas did the right thing there and what the Jets are going to do to replace their once future franchise with a new future franchise QB. So all that coming up here um, and Baylor whipped up. On the Zags on Monday night, a a stunner at least is in terms of how the game flowed. There, it's one thing to say Baylor is going to win; it's another thing for them to house the Zags. It makes me think Eddie Spaghetti, thinking of some of our teams there. The first one that came to mind for me was in terms of it's one thing that the Giants beat the Vikings in the year two thousand to go to the Super Bowl, where they lost to the Ravens. It's another thing entirely that Kerry Collins and company just completely hammered that Vikings team. It kind of feels a little bit like that. What else? Were there any other just blowouts on that level that just an undefeated juggernaut like that in the big game just got, I mean, I guess the giants beating Elway's Broncos back in what was that Super Bowl 21, I think is uh, when Phil Sims, and company did that. How say you? Yeah, thinking about like I mean, big big games like this. Obviously, the the Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl, where from the beginning that game was over. That's and I know it doesn't. That's not our Northeast based teams here, but that's kind of like how that game was last night, the Baylor Gonzaga game. I you know I'm not a huge college basketball aficionado, but I knew a little bit about. I know Baylor has three NBA you know players. I know Donovan Mitchell's brothers in that team, and I just kind of figured Gonzaga. I know they were giving what was like four and a half five points. I figured that's about right. You know Gonzaga's constantly here. Mark Hughes great coach but that game from the beginning like the first two minutes that it was over that that was i've never seen a game like that where bounces like rebounds like balls hitting the rim would just fly right from like to a baylor player and like just sloppy dribbling on gonzaga just like turning the ball over like crazy and then also when a team like baylor shoots 
50% from the three point range. Like it's going to be hard to lose a game like that. That was like as bad as a game could get. I and mean, everything went wrong for Gonzaga completely in that one. Yeah. Well, I, I'm listening to you and also at the same time running through my head of, uh, of what we're talking about here, I guess a good example, sad to say is what happened in January um, just a few months ago, the Cleveland Browns coming into Pittsburgh. It's not that they beat the Steelers. It's that they whipped the Steelers. That was a bad one. I guess Washington also whipped Elway's Broncos pretty good. That was a, an 80s tradition for an NFC East team to destroy the Broncos, apparently, at some point in the uh, in the Super Bowl. The Penguins beat the North Stars in the final game. That wasn't really an upset, though. They beat them 8 to nothing. I'm just running through them in my head. Anyway... A stunner, not necessarily like I say. I mean, it was uh, the uh, the Bears were the dogs in this one, like you say, by four and a half. But the fact that they barely, the Gonzaga, I don't think got within nine points um, the entire night. I don't think they yeah. they got the game down under nine points anywhere along the way, which is uh, which is just loco to think about. But that's rear view mirror stuff. Muzzletov to Baylor. We got the Masters coming up. Like we say, um, my eye is already looking at uh, autumn of 2021 and all that's going on um, with the ever fascinating uh, AFC East, and I still think we'll get uh, Sam Monson's opinion on this. I still think the Patriots are more likely to finish in fourth place than they are in first place. The Bills are a pretty prohibitive favorite at uh, minus one fifty-five. The Dolphins at plus three twenty. The the uh, Patriots are plus three ninety. And the Jets way down there, plus 1,500. I don't think they're necessarily a threat to win the division, but um, no respect there for what Joe Douglas is trying to build. Let's see what Zach Wilson can do in year one, because it certainly appears that that's uh, where this thing is heading. I don't I think the one that jumps out to me, Eddie Spaghetti in the AFC is uh, is in the north that the Ravens are still favored over barely at, uh, at plus 110 over the Browns at plus 170. Um, I think the Browns are a pretty good value there um, to to win that. The Steelers at plus 360 in that division and the Cowboys are plus 105 to win that division. I think I think that I, I, I see them as uh, as a bigger favorite to win this one. If you buy that, uh, the quarterback is the most important position. Um, we'll jump in on all that, like I say, coming up here. But let's talk about, first of all, the Sixers and Celts are getting it on. The Sixers are giving two points in Boston. The Sixers have taken care of the Celts in their two head-to-heads so far this season. Embiid is the difference maker. I don't think the Celts are constructed to handle what he's gotten. A few are. Obviously, MVP having a border, uh, Embiid having a borderline MVP season here. How say you on that one? I'm taking the Sixers uh, minus the two spaghetti. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you as well, but it's funny because our, our pal Kevin Hench and uh, he he was on another uh, popular Boston uh, podcast uh, host show and they, were, and they were saying how the Sixers don't. Scare I know them. that one. That one's good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that's who it was. And and they were saying the, the 76ers don't scare them. They're not one of the teams that needs to scare them. And to me, I don't I don't understand that logic. Um, like you just said, they have an MVP type candidate in Embiid and you know, the Celtics should when you're when you're a team that should be a lot better than what you are. I'm basically never going to trust you. I'm never going to want to pick you. Um, so I, I don't know. I really don't have faith in them. I mean, it's only it's two points. I mean, they're giving two points. Like I, I definitely think that the Sixers can win by more than that. 
Um, also, we gave you the it, it uh, struck my eye as weird, but, you know, with Harden and uh, the hamstring and KD, his last game, it would seem before he returns to the Nets. I said, jump on the Knicks there. The numbers supported it and uh, barely survived that one. So um, I think uh, the Sixers are the, are the play tonight in the NBA and in the NHL. We got a big one. The blue shirt spaghetti, the Penguins. It's it it's all there. It's a big night for the East Division in general, and I know, like you so like we say that uh, you and Meatballs are going to chop it up a little bit. But what do you think here? The Rangers hosting the Pens. Not a ton of games left. If the Rangers realistically want to uh, find themselves in that four spot, these are the kind of games they better start winning, with few exceptions down the stretch. Yeah, in terms of games, I mean, right now, the the with the Bruins at 35 games played, they're in the fourth spot. The Rangers, that's their only realistic chance of catching them. Obviously, they're not going to get anywhere close to the, the top three seeds, which would be Pittsburgh Islanders and the, the Capitals. So the Rangers at 39 points, Boston at 44. They're, they're right in striking distance if they keep winning. What they can do is lose an overtime to a team like the Sabres. But uh, I've mentioned it before, and I will mention it again on Spaghetti and Meatballs, when the Rangers are getting a guy like Vitaly Kravtsov back, uh, well, not back, but for the first time in the lineup. And they're kind of rotating out these guys like Brendan Lemieux, who they traded away. And then you have Gaultier and you have uh, Di Giuseppe and, and Brett Hatton may come back from, from uh, the COVID protocol list. But those guys are not there's they're not scary dangerous offensive weapons Kravtsov is he's a he's a big guy he you know he's a young kid who dominated the KHL and having a person like that injecting him in the lineup down the stretch run could really pay dividends I mean right now Adam Fox could easily win the Norris Trophy so you know when when your team's best players are playing the, their best that's always a good sign so we got to just cross our fingers and hope they could uh, get a couple you know two points every game is really what it comes down to well that was bad news that the Flyers uh, I thought that the Flyers were emerging as the new Sabres, which is a bad thing to be in uh, in our Lord's year 2021. The Sabres are not as putrid as they were a couple of weeks ago. They're not getting hammered every night, maybe after the game they are, but I mean within the 60 minutes of hockey, they're not getting hammered anymore. I thought that the Flyers were tracking in that direction. Bad news for the Rangers and for the the Bruins and potentially for the Penguins as as they try and hold on to one of the um, top two spots in the division um, that the Flyers – uh, scratch it out an extra point against uh, against the Bruins. They're getting it on again. Um, and real quick on baseball spaghetti, I'm very amused. You know, I enjoy Boston sports fans suffering a little bit. It seems like Yankees fans are trying to cash in on the same sort of woe as us stuff early in this baseball season. Who's worse, the Yankees or Red Sox spaghetti? And 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 does Jacob Degrom? Um, have worse luck than Yankees or Red Sox fans. That poor fella. I mean, I'm not, the Yankees aren't bad. I'm not worried about the Yankees. I know. I'm just. I'm laughing at the sky is falling because they were one and two. Yeah, they, their offense has not really been there besides Gary Sanchez and Clint Frazier. Luckily, they run into an Orioles team who is just absolutely atrocious. I mean, Matt Harvey is the Orioles' number two starter. Think about that. Like 2013, Matt Harvey was the dark Knight was the best pitcher in baseball. The Mets have the best rotation. He bounced around Cincinnati, you know, the angels. Now he's in Baltimore as a two starter, but the, the Yankees run into that team. John Carlos Stanton hit probably the farthest home run I've ever seen in my life. It was insane. So yeah, I'm not, worried about, the Yankees. I'm, I'm not worried about the Yankees in, in, in any way. Um, and you mentioned DeGrom who I put in the rundown is like probably 
like not even hyperbole, probably the most dominant yet underappreciated athlete in all of sports. I mean, the amount of like his ERA in Mets losses is sickening. And this guy's career is just being wasted. I don't want to say like if he was a Yankee, what would what would it be like? But if he was at a team with any kind of run production, he's on like a Sandy Koufax-esque kind of stretch right now. It is insane to see what he's doing. And like the Mets fan, it's like it's always the same old Mets. I, I feel bad for the guy. It's um, this is a name that you won't be familiar with. Uh, Lefty Carlton. You ever hear of Steve Carlton spaghetti? I have. Yes. I'm well aware of baseball history. Thank you. All right. Good. Well, I'm just making sure. I think he pitched for the Yankees. He pitched for pretty much every team um, over a three week span right before he retired. It seemed like uh, he was with the um, with the Phillies for such a long stretch. But, yeah, it's starting to have that vibe to it. But the difference was Carlton got away from bum teams at some point. The the Grom is just cursed. Drop us a line, in fact, um, at uh, minus three pod and let us know, is there anyone out there? Actually, go. You, you can transcend just this particular millennium. You can go way back. Who's had worse luck? I always make that point in the quarterback league that if your guy is the real deal, if your quarterback is, in fact, a Hall of Fame worthy guy, that your pro football team can't stink for more than a year or two. Like there's just no history in this millennium. But who's had what high end player? has been stuck on more junk teams. I mean, yeah. of course, my brain goes to Mario Lemieux for the first four years of his career. He was surrounded by um, some ham and eggers, and, you know, people didn't pay attention to him, but eventually he got over the hump, as we know, Eddie Spaghetti. Maybe we'll see. Maybe it could be like a Matt Stafford. He's kind of in that group. Um, in terms of baseball, another guy. Yeah, that's that, a good one. Another guy that was um, kind of in the same boat as DeGrom was like a Felix Hernandez um for the Mariners like you know early on his career they were like he could be a 300 game winner but the problem was he wasn't getting any run support again because he was stuck up in Seattle so it just that's one of those things that just stinks because there's gonna be very 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 few chances to see it on the 300 game winner because of just how baseball pitchers are coddled in this day and age and DeGrom was like one of the last of you know the old guard where he really could have done it if he was on a better team but yeah Felix is a guy that comes to mind there um but yeah I mean maybe like I guess I'd maybe we'll see this year with Stafford if Stafford leads the Rams to the NFC uh West title then we could say oh yeah he was a guy who was on a bum team for for most of his career um and last thing before we uh we turn our attention to pro football action here is um back to the NBA and specifically the Brooklyn Nets right now Kevin Durant about to return I've mentioned it before I'll say it again because I I just think it's uh, a funny little numerical anomaly that the, the, the five that they can put potentially put out there when Blake Griffin's uh, in the lineup and, and LaMarcus Aldridge, they can have um, five guys, the lowest of whom is James Harden as the third overall pick, and the other four guys were either the second overall or first overall. This, to me, is a team where we're – um, deluding ourselves with the Sixers or anyone else you want to talk about. Milwaukee, I know that they've held on to their big three now long-term. Maybe they'll finally get over the hump. But it it seems to me that we're, we're getting crazy if we're talking about anybody other than the Nets, assuming good health for KD and James Harden, that this team is destined for the finals and probably the title. How say you? And by, by the way, unless KD is distracted by his social media DMs <laughs> with um, – with Mike washed Rapport. up actors, right? Yeah, what did I mean, you think about that too? I, to me, I, I, I think the, uh, the lame part of all of it, uh, you know, at this, at this point in man's recorded history, there are words that you should not be using and otherwise also 
sharing DMs feels like a uh, a violation as well. I don't know what the code is on social media. I don't know that we have hard and fast law at this point yet, but it still seems like a, an ethical and perhaps moral violation if you're kibitzing and arguing to say, look at what this guy just DM me. I am totally with you that the fact that it, it, they were shared, like they, they were intended to be private. Um, it wasn't like Duran himself was broadcasting it. Now, should Duran have done that? No, personally, I don't get as upset with Durant that he did that. I think it's like kind of funny, actually, the fact that Rappaport showed the DMs and was kind of ratting him like you never like a rat. You don't want to you don't like a narc. But in this day and age, as we just, you know, have seen Were you recently, ever mobbed up spaghetti. Was I you spent a lot up? of time, but what's mobbed up mean? Well played. Yeah, you have no idea. I don't know. You, you, you know, New York City, spent some time up in Boston, you know. So no, I've, I've I, seen no, the departed. I'm, I know what. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm not, no, I'm not uh, the Matt Damon in this scenario. But I, uh, and have we seen lately with 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 uh, Paul Pierce is like that it, social media can get you in trouble in this day and age and your employers have a, a say and I guess uh, <laughs> the NBA the NBA was not a fan of uh, either of those or I think but, but yeah I mean I, I think again Durant doing that it was actually extremely it was the one time Durant on social media actually was okay wasn't being a weirdo but um, uh, who yeah, did was, worse on social media Kevin Durant or Paul Pierce I mean who did, I mean, Paul Pierce definitely doing better. He seemed like he was in a great time. So I can't, I mean, Paul Pierce <laughs> having time of his life. So it stinks for well, him to lose his gig. Sam Darnold's left the big media market. Now he's down in Carolina. Do you think Joe Douglas did right, Spaghetti? My Darnold take, and no, he didn't do right. To answer your question, Joe Douglas did not do right. They should have held on to Darnold for this one reason. And we've seen this with the Bears, with Trubisky, with Mahomes and Watson. The Bears will never be able to, in their history as a franchise, as long as they've been around, they can they will never be able to separate from what they missed with those quarterbacks. If we're assuming that Trevor Lawrence is who he is, who we think he's going to be, this phenomenal Pro Bowl, you know, Hall of Fame type player. And let's just say Zach Wilson, for argument's sake, is is fine. Let's just say he's a fine quarterback. It's essentially getting the consolation prize because this whole past NFL season, it was like, oh, the Jets are going to get him. He's going to go to the Jets. And then they win a meaningless game. The Jaguars leapfrog him in the draft. And now he's going to, to Florida. And the Jets are left with, you know, a BYU quarterback that, like, being honest, most Jets fans have never even heard of, nor have they ever watched a BYU game. Now, again, I'm not – I am pro-Darnold. I think that Darnold is so so young and was on a crap team with a crap coach, and he could be really good. Uh, I also think if he's just okay, the way the Jets could have avoided this mess of being attached to Trevor Lawrence forever is by saying, like, no, 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 no we're going to stand power with Darnold. We're going we're gonna to give him pits. We're going to give him Sewell to protect him along with Beckton. We're going to give him, you know, Jamar Chase, whoever they want. And and you're getting a good player there. Most people, draft people, think those guys are bust-proof. And you're 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 helping Darnold's career. And let's just say if Darnold doesn't work out, it's like, all right, well, they tried, and Lawrence was never going to be an option. So we we always believed in Darnold. And you could kind of sell that to the fans. The problem is with draft with trading away Darnold and drafting Wilson, and then Wilson stinks. You're now directly comparing him to Trevor Lawrence. And that's, frankly, it's not going to be close. And I just think it's going to be a terrible thing. It's going to be all the things that's talked about on, on SNY and all the, the New York local channels, all the radio stations, WFN. It's just going to be another chapter in the Jets' misery, like the misery book. And I think there was a way they could have avoided it. And Joe Douglas traded him away. I, it, it, 
you make interesting points. And I think the thing that happens, you know, most, most any year is it, you know, any offensive lineman, when fan bases start talking about got to get this guy, you don't know anything about that offensive lineman. You just heard people who do know about offensive linemen sing his praises, but quarterbacks from BYU, like you say, I, I'm, I, I maybe I fancy- one game, maybe the coastal Carolina game. They watched. That was it. Maybe one. you saw BYU maybe once this entire year. If you're not a hardcore college football fan. I mean, listen, I'll get excited about a QB playing at North Dakota State, too, if I and only watch a couple of games of his in college and and feel as the QB whisperer like I have a good read on this guy. Um, the the point that people are making about him is BYU's offensive line was dynamite and not unlike Baker Mayfield on the Browns. If you keep just about any QB who's talented clean, they're going to thrive. So that's the question for Zach Wilson now as he as he comes to the Jets uh, you know we don't know what he looks like under duress so I mean uh, and yet Jets fans are awfully excited about him and I and I do think Joe Douglas has done some good things here to earn some optimism but I I man it's a lot there's a lot you know a lot of assumptions being made about how good he's gonna be and I refuse to believe Everybody keeps saying it's going to be Mac Jones for Kyle Shanahan at three. Um, I, I mean, I think if Justin Fields starts falling in this falling at all here and he winds up with the Broncos, let's say Chiefs fans are very upset with me spaghetti right now, because I said, if Justin Fields goes to the Broncos, I could see the Chiefs finishing in third place. And people did not like that opinion at all. I mean, but, so that's a bit much, but all right. But I appreciate you giving a take. Damn, I'm I'm glad you appreciate my take. That's it. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm just I'm just gonna say if you don't well, Denver Broncos. Ooh, you don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, whatever. Denver Broncos plus sixteen hundred. This is not a uh, a Midwest show though, so we won't uh, we won't devote too much time there. I wanted to tell you the other one that was. Oh yeah, that one jumped out at me too. NFC North, the longest odds to win its division. Uh, is I mean this is a this is a league that includes the Cincinnati Bengals. They're plus twenty three hundred to win the to win the AFC North. Are the Bungles? The Detroit Lions are plus twenty seven hundred to win the mm-hmm. NFC North. That uh, that uh, kind of surprises me. I love going through the numbers. By the way, you can do that all at FanDuel.com. And if you agree with me or you wish to fade Dave Damashek, either way, do it at FanDuel.com slash minus three again. The Word minus the number three. And right now, let's uh, talk a little bit more pro football with Sam Monson. All right. I've been looking forward to this conversation for many months now, as a matter of fact. You listen to him on PFF NFL podcast and the PFF NFL Daily, both very entertaining and informative stuff. You might even call them infotainment all the way from Ireland to Cincinnati and now here on minus three it's Sam Monson how are you man I'm doing good how about you well like I say I'm uh, I'm excited for this conversation here and we have much to talk about with the AFC North and uh, and the NFC East and so on but let's jump in here now to the big question we we get these things it feels like every couple or few years although we've been um 
a little ahead of that pace. It is the big off-season question that everyone must weigh in on and then live by it, and you're not allowed to change your opinion on it or otherwise. It started, to my recollection, with Chip Kelly in the NFL. Will that work? Everybody had an opinion on that. We know how it worked out. Then Lamar Jackson. Will that work? Will that kind of an offense work in the NFL? Then this past offseason, it was Brady and or Belichick, which will Mm -hmm. succeed. And now here we are, Sam Monson. You're the first one to get to answer it. Sam Darnold, salvageable, future star, still a bust. How say you? This is your answer. We're going to etch it into the scrolls and you have to live by it for the rest of time. And the great thing about all of these is that it's never either of the extremes, right? It's always somewhere in the middle that nobody wants to actually hear. Nobody, nobody has time for nuance anymore. It's not interesting. Nobody cares. So look, I'm the Darnold thing is interesting because there's a very strong minority of people that will defend this guy to the hilt and say, it's all Adam Gase and the situation. And he just had no shot. And as soon as you free him from that environment, you're going to see the real Sam Darnold. You're going to see the guy that makes those splash plays, you know, pretty much every game, just not enough of them. And I think the the best thing about this is we're probably going to get a good answer to that because in Carolina, you're going to see by far the best situation he's ever been in in the NFL, by far the best weaponry he's had. He's teaming up with one of the great young play-calling, coaching minds in the NFL, in, in Joe Brady, Okay, the offensive line is not in great shape, but it's still at least on par with what he's had with the Jets for years. So we're going to get a pretty good answer, I think, as to how much of that has been Sam Darnold and how much has been the environment. Um, My hunch says that, look, everybody wants to blame all of this on Adam Gase. I think in the hierarchy of problems that have been besetting Sam Darnold since he came into the NFL, Gase is at most the third most impactful one. The Hmm. Jets roster definitely hasn't been good. That's probably number one. Sam Darnold not being good is probably number two. And then Adam Gase's influence is probably number three. So, yeah, look, I'm intrigued by Darnold as a reclamation project. I am a lot less intrigued by him as a guy that's going to have to start next year and be an upgrade over Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater for Carolina. I don't know that there's a huge chance that we see you know, this dramatic leap forward in Darnold's production. Yeah, you know, I I don't know anymore in the 21st century. I like the cliche money plays in this league, but I don't know necessarily that that's always the case. I do think, though, now that Joe Douglas sent Darnold down there and Carolina rightly, I mean, I think if you make that deal, you have to pick up the the option for him. But I think that in this case, you do kind of have to roll with Sam Darnold at some point, I don't know if he's your day one starter or whatever. It does sound like they're trying to move on from Teddy B to, to uh, clear up any sort of uh, haze that might exist um, in time for September. But um, as far as the Jets go, I mean, as recently as Monday morning, people were still speculating about whether or not Joe Douglas might hold on to Sam Darnold. Yeah. So if nothing else, I, I, I think he played it. I think he, he did a good job of bluffing the rest of pro football. He did a good job with his high stakes poker game here. You look at, uh, you know, Ross Tucker and others have pointed out the fact that Mitchell Trubisky, uh, you know, a couple million to play back up there. And they're kind of, you know, if you blur your eyes a little bit, Darnold and Trubisky are kind of, 
in the ballpark of the same guy, same same track record and otherwise. Um, did Joe Douglas do right here? Do you feel like yeah. this was a successful move, bottom line, for the Jets going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you were going to be moving on from Sam Darnold, um, flipping him for as much as you can get back in a trade, I think is absolutely the right move. I don't, I, I get the logic, you know, Steve Palazzolo, my podcast co-host have been making the argument that look, keep them both there and you, you double your chances, right. Of wanting one of them turning out to be the next, uh, to be a, a quarterback that you can work with Wilson or Sam Darnold. I just, I don't love the dynamics, particularly in New York, right? Because every question Zach Wilson is going to have to answer for the next two years is going to be about Sam Darnold, not about him. And I just, it's just not a good first step to be putting your rookie quarterback into. Um, and it's not great for Darnold either, right? To be like, okay, we've lost faith in you. Take a seat on the bench, but yeah, we're going to keep you around on the off chance that you, you react well to an improved environment. So cut ties, move on and get what you can for him. And I think they've done a good job of getting the most that they could. And, you know, I, I think it's a good point that when you look overall at the body of work, there is not much difference between Sam, Sam Darnold and Trubisky, where I think there is a difference, though, is in the environment that those guys have been working in. Because I think Trubisky generally has been in a pretty quarterback favorable environment and still been that bad. Whereas Darnold, you know, his supporters are right that this has been an ugly situation and he hasn't been helped and he has been dragged down by the situation around him to the point where he looks as bad as Mitchell Trubisky. So it's, they end up in the same place, but I think the differences between them are still significant. And that helps explain why, you know, Darnold yielded a couple of picks back in return. I, you know, uh, there aren't a ton of examples to cite as it happens in the last, you know, 10, 20 years, but you know, Alex Smith is a good example. Not every human being who gets drafted at round about age 21 immediately turns into to Justin Herbert. I mean, that, that that's that is one path, and that is the prevalent path that at least the guy who you use a first round draft pick is gonna get some snaps in his rookie season. This this notion of like learn at the knee of the savvy vet. It just doesn't happen very right. often. And now Mahomes and Rogers are the two shining examples of guys who did, but you know, Trey Lance to Atlanta, we're here and that one is a possibility and, and, you know, and watch Matt Ryan. It feels vaguely uninspired, I suppose um, to, to, to me, but with the, with Zach Wilson now, he's going to go, uh, it, it would, uh, it would certainly appear that's where he's headed. Um, are we, first of all, are we a hundred percent on that? I mean, it, I, I've seen now over the last couple of weeks, zero variation from that opinion. It's Zach Wilson to the jets and who's, who's going at third, right? Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm as certain as you can be pre-draft of, of anything. I think Wilson is is seemingly the guy locked in at number two. I like, I like where, what you say though, about, uh, you know, you talk about the jets. Now it's getting pretty far in the rear view mirror, but again, these are human beings and they are, they might react differently. Some of the, uh, you know, most NFL QBs, they're, they're common traits among them in terms of confidence and otherwise, but Mark Sanchez did not like bringing Tim to having Tim Tebow and answering questions about Tim Tebow and all of that. So I I'm completely with you about like, 
Sam Darnold and a, a kid. Is that a, is that the right way to go? That doesn't exactly make sense to me. So I'm, I'm with you about that. Not everybody is uh, Sean Payton's New Orleans Saints this year. And, and we have yet to see whether or not that's even going to work out. Let's talk about um, the uh, the rest of that division there. And, you know, another one that people are reacting Pretty uh, w- w- to either extreme is what Bill Belichick's doing up there in Foxborough this year. How say you G- uh, take the stage and, and tell us a uh, bottom line. Did Belichick is Belichick going about this the right way? Is this team a contender to win the division to be a playoff team this year? Or are they more likely, as I say, perhaps more likely to finish in fourth place than they are in first place in the East in 2021? Yeah, I'm kind of torn on it. I think it it still all comes down to what they do at quarterback. I don't think Cam Newton is the the, the final answer to their plan at the position going hmm. into the season, but he might be the one they're left with. You know, I think Cam Newton was signed essentially so that they could go to the free agent market and not have to convince somebody that Jared Stidham throwing them the ball was a real possibility this year, you know? It's one thing bringing in a bunch of receivers and free agency saying, all right, look, worst case scenario, Cam Newton, former NFL MVP, will be the guy throwing you the ball. It's another thing entirely to say, look, if we don't get the guy we want, Jared Stidham could be the quarterback here, and you're just going to have to deal with that. I, I I think they just didn't want to have to deal with that. So they signed Cam Newton. It's a very team-friendly deal, and now they have a stopgap. They have this backstop that if it all goes wrong and they can't find a quarterback, they've got something to work with particularly if you're pivoting to this offense that's going to run more two tight end sets and is going to be a a heavier formation package than a lot of teams run, which fits in naturally with what Cam Newton does anyway. So, But I I think we saw last year that Cam Newton is unlikely to lead this team back to the promised land the way he is right now. Um, And that, you know, outlier 2015 MVP season is getting further and further in the rear view. It's also looking more and more like a giant outlier in his whole career and not a realistic baseline or even a realistic, you know, high watermark of what you can expect from Cam Newton. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is our, I, you know, I figure we have a larger disagreement right on the horizon here, but I must quickly take a detour here. Okay. I feel if Cam Newton, you may scoff at this. I feel if Cam Newton, has one more high-end season, and, you know, uh, uh, let's not get too nuanced with what that means, but a a, a very good, a high-end quarterback season. I think he legitimately still stands a shot at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Sam. I I think, well, I mean, the historic rushing numbers alone, and you say outlier in 2015, but he also had one of the three great rookie QB seasons in NFL history or in the Super Bowl era. I think the numbers are oddly there. They're not in the usual metrics by which you would evaluate a a quarterback, but I do think he has a borderline compelling case. He can't retire today and get in, but I think if he can find a, 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 um, a compelling you know, third act here for his career. It's not all over. And I do kind of think that Belichick, to your point about going heavy with uh, with with those two tight ends, I think it kind of sets up for one. I, I'm, I'm curious, without uh, turning this into a, a, a Cam Newton conversation too much, I'm wondering, do you suppose Cam and uh, and his reps looked around and realized there is no 
option for us as a as a possibility as a starting quarterback outside of New England in 2021. So we may as well go back there for another year. I'm sure they looked. I mean, you don't sign the deal that he signed just because you think it's an optimal fit for for what you're going to do. If somebody was out there prepared to offer Cam Newton the starting job and our real quarterback contract, he would be there. He wouldn't be signing for the Patriots for this incentive laden, uh, low guarantee deal he signed. So, yeah, I, I think. This is the second year in a row that the market has not really been there for Cam Newton, and he had to go to the only team that was really willing to offer him any shot of of starting or having a at least a a, a run at a starting gig, uh, and that's what we're seeing. I don't think you're crazy that there's a case to be made that he could make the Hall of Fame, but I'm not the guy to make it. I mean, I'm like. The Hall of no, Fame. I'll make to me is, I, I, yeah. I, I gave I gave you the Cliff's Notes version of right. what he did without diving in on the numbers, but in in rushing the football, you know, the the logic is essentially um, strained, though it may be. Is if we talk yeah. about Devin Hester having to be in the Hall of Fame because he was such a great specialist, he was the best to ever do something. Well, by by that measure, Cam Newton's the greatest rushing quarterback of all time, or at least he was until Lamar Jackson. We'll see how long Lamar Jackson can, can sustain um, that number of totes uh, perennially. I mean, I think there, there's a case on that level alone. I mean, he he's a dominating rusher of the football who kind of redefined and had some success. Anyway, I, I'm going too deep in the weeds on Cam Newton because I do want to talk about another quarterback. I, uh, to your point, though, before I move out, uh, out of the AFC East, do you suppose – that Belichick covets Mac Jones. Do you think he likes the project of maybe Trey Lance or so, or maybe Justin Fields? Do we suppose that the guy who loves collecting picks um, and moving down in the draft maybe is targeting moving up this one time to get a quarterback um, and you know have him learn at the knee or however we want to phrase it with with uh, Cam Newton in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, at some point, the Patriots are going to need to find some way of going after, you know, a real quarterback with a long term future with this team. And we thought they might do it last year. Nothing happened. We we are assuming they're going to take a swing at it this year, but they're not in a great position to make that happen. You know, we we now assume that quarterbacks are going to go one, two, three in the draft. Um, Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and then number three is still up in the air. It's starting to sound a lot like Mac Jones is going to go to the 49ers at three, but who knows? Which means if if you're trading up to four for the Patriots, not only are you jumping a pretty long way to get to four and get the next one of those quarterbacks, but you're trading whatever that's going to cost for arguably the fourth best quarterback available this year. Um, Hmm. Now, you might have him higher on your board, so it's more palatable for you, but like it's a big investment for what isn't, you know, the the number one guy or, or the consensus number one or even number two available quarterback. It's moving a long way for a guy that's a lot further down most people's boards, which I mean, it's a hell of a risk, if nothing else. So I, I do wonder if the Patriots make that happen at all or if they're just sort of treading water until they can find a realistic shot at one that makes sense for them. 
it's really interesting where Belichick sits here and the motivations as a human being and otherwise. And we've talked to people on both sides of things who say Belichick cares very deeply about what Brady has done without him down in Florida. And other people say that's not Belichick's concern at all. He doesn't bat an eye about that. Either way, whatever's motivating him, be I, 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 I assume the uh, the target is success in pro football is what he's is what he's angling for here, not necessarily his legacy. He has though been pretty progressive in a lot of ways, and and pro football's other coaches and GMs have kind of copycatted him here and there in his approach to building a winner. It feels to me like it's retro thinking to go and get Mac Jones. He's trying to replicate Tom Brady. I I I trust you that Mac Jones is Kyle Shanahan's um, coveted QB. That also feels uninspired to me. I get what guys he's had success with in pro football. To me, I, I, it, it would stun me that Kyle Shanahan's giving away those assets to get a shot at Mac Jones at three. But uh, but that's interesting. And I, I've been advocating for Russell Will for Joe Douglas to try and go get Russell Wilson. That would be my crazy one to jump ahead in that arms race in in the NFC West. But now let's talk about the AFC North. And like I say, I've been anxious to speak with you. What you know, I am in the same boat as you right now because I said if Justin Fields if like we talk about Mac Jones is the target in adva- in front of Denver in this draft and somehow Justin Fields falls down the nine I think that the Broncos as constituted have a have a shot of being competitive in that division this year and I think the Chargers are going to win that division and so Chiefs fans are mad at me right now just the Steelers <laughs> fans have been cross with you for some time because you said Roethlisberger is bad, he stinks, all that kind of talk, you know, unvarnished talk. You think he's very bad and not a viable starting quarterback in 2021. Is that fair? Um, I think he's a viable starting quarterback, but I don't think he's good enough that he's going to lead this team beyond where they were last season. I mean, if this is, you know, the Saints have had this year-long go-round a couple of times where – Drew Brees was going to come back one last go. We've got a Super Bowl caliber roster. We'll get a second champion spring. And it never quite materialized. But at least on paper, it made sense. right? And Drew Brees, right up until this last year, was good enough that to make sense and, and to make it happen. I don't think Roethlisberger is in that category anymore. And neither is the Steelers roster right now good enough to make it happen. They're not the best roster in the NFL on paper and a team with a quarterback good enough to take them all the way and knock off the Kansas City Chiefs and win a, a ring. They're, they're just not. The offensive line has disintegrated around him right at the point in time where he needs it more than ever. Um, and Roethlisberger's play last season just was never as good as it looked like it was when they were on that 11-0 and um, streak. He was never playing that well. It was sort of patched up by some really impressive play on third down for a while, but that just isn't sustainable. You're, you're never able to keep those things going for long enough. And when that started to regress, the wheels sort of fell off and the Steelers just weren't able to beat good teams. Um, and I don't think that's going to reverse itself. Like unless you say, all right, you will go one last go around. And the only way this works out, Ben, is if you just take off the shackles, forget, you know, conservatism, just air it out and go nuts. And if we're going to go down, at least you go down swinging, um, maybe there's a high variance, you know, where he catches a wave there and you just get a great streak of really good Roethlisberger play. But if he goes out there trying to be 
conservative, efficient, and I, they're just they're not good enough to do that. I don't think yet. I think the offensive line, like you touch on, that's uh, a, a, um, a pretty well known. Um, thing at this point that it really was collapsing around him and it, it it was a perfect storm with potentially a bad knee, his age and otherwise, and his will to take um, collisions at this point. And uh, on the, the human scale for him, it started to feel like he, he, he did not want that contact any longer. I look at the, it, it's not optimal. It's not, it, it doesn't uh, indicate any long-term success for the Pittsburgh Steelers as an organization, but I think the optimism is looking at five years ago at the Denver Broncos of 2015. I think that if that team with a high-end defense uh, was able to obviously go uh, and win the Super Bowl, I don't necessarily think the Steelers are going to win the Super Bowl this year, but I think there's a, a puncher's chance given that basic formula that the 2015 Broncos applied there and had some success with. And the one I keep to I, more than anything, I, I think I need to get a doctor who can tell not, not to fix my brain, but to, to talk about his elbow and in year two post-surgery, is there any chance? Cause that's what physically he was missing. People who say he's dead armed or otherwise he wasn't hitting the deep throws. That was what fell, uh, what fell away from him based on his overall career, which was mystifying because he did still throw some lasers, but there was, mm-hmm. there was an issue at some point of, uh, of getting the ball deep there. Um, do you agree with me that but I also think that it's an incomplete puzzle right now and and you know let's see what the Steelers do in the draft if they can successfully address you know left tackle and uh, you know maybe find a center as well and and maybe a run game in the draft that's a lot to ask but I do think that would take some pressure off of them and also is Roethlisberger going to com- commit to what Matt Canada wants to do that's that's the other big question for the Steelers offense in 2021 is he willing to basically change his game go under center um and uh, and commit to some of the jet sweep action that Canada likes as far as that division goes though I'm surprised to see the Ravens are still held up as the favorite. Do you agree with that or have the Browns vaulted past them, which is uh, which is where I see it at this point? I think the Browns probably have. Um, you look at the roster. Cleveland did very smart business in, in free agency so far. They went after their weaknesses in a, a really big way. Their secondary was not good this season at all. They went out and signed 40 percent of the league's best secondary with the, the two players coming mm-hmm. over from the Rams, John Johnson and, and Troy Hill. Um, they have Denzel Ward already. They have some players in that secondary that, that were already there. I think there are good pieces to build around. Um, they're not that far away. If they make a couple of more moves in the draft and, and hit the the rest of the issues that they have on defense, I think they're headed in the right direction. And that offense was really good last year. Um, and, and working without... Odell Beckham for most of the season. And, you know, I, I know there's debate around whether they should move on from Odell and, and flip him for a first round pick or whatever. But I think ultimately the talent is still there for him and Baker Mayfield to be an incredibly dangerous combination. And, you know, the Odell Beckham wasn't around before that offense got itself together and started to find its groove and figure out what this looked like under Kevin Stefanski. I think it, Odell Beckham should look significantly better just put back into that system um, even before 
like he and Baker Mayfield have managed to work out getting on the same page and all those kinds of things and the, the chemistry that they still need to generate. So, yeah, I think top to bottom, the Browns, I think, are in better shape than Baltimore, who haven't fixed all of the issues that were was happening to that team last year, particularly on offense. You know, we started to see things wobble uh, with that passing game. They've made some adjustments to it. They've brought in Kevin Zeitler, which I think was really good business. But like they still, I don't think, have fixed the the root issues with that offense, at least not completely. I, you know, let's go win play show here in the AFC North for the next, let's say, three years. Let's uh, put the measure there and set the Steelers aside because we don't know where they're going to be. Um, at this time, 12 months from now, they'll be presumably looking for a QB. Um, who's got the brightest future? I kind of like what Cincinnati's trying to do there. I don't, uh, to me, uh, I like the logic of what would your foes not want you to do? What 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 would spook the teams that you're going to be playing twice uh, come autumn every year? If I were the Bengals, I think Kyle Pitts is the guy who, I mean, all we hear about is the, the mythologized, Matchup nightmare. And, you know, Travis Kelsey is that key factor for the Chiefs offense, you know, as far as that goes. I get Sewell is a, it would be nice there. And I'm a big believer in dominating the line of scrimmage is how teams are contenders every year. And the teams that you see showing up in the Super Bowls, unsexy as it is, dominate both the both sides of the line of scrimmage. However, if Pitts is there, I think they should take him. But anyway. I, I now I went down a rabbit hole about Kyle Pitts. I didn't mean to do that. Win play show, Sam Monson. Whose three year future is brightest? Bengals, Ravens, Browns. Go. I think it should be Cleveland's. I mean, the Browns were still just working against this decades long history of it's the Cleveland Browns, and you know it's going to take it's going to take three years before people let go of that and realize that actually you know they they fixed it. They become good. They're no longer the Cleveland Browns. They are an actual good franchise. So, you know, there's still, there's always the worry, right? That Baker Mayfield goes back in his shell and and doesn't continue the improvement that we saw from him or that the Odell Beckham thing blows up and and implodes at some point or something else happens and this all goes off the rails and they reboot again. They fire everybody and on we go, but it shouldn't happen. There's no reason any of those things should go wrong and everything else they're doing is really good. I mean, Andrew Barry at GM seems to be making a lot of very smart moves. That roster has gone from a a mess to being in in really good order pretty quickly. And critically, the Steelers might be on the way now because of Ben Roethlisberger reaching that point. And Baltimore, you know, haven't kicked on from that MVP Lamar Jackson season. They've started to teeter. Um, And while, yeah, I agree that the Bengals are doing some good things, I think they're further away. So, yeah, this is, I think, Cleveland's time or at least their opportunity to take control over this division for a few years. It's I, I think a lot of it really is um, just uh, what we know when we see that orange hat and what we associate it with. But as it stands, uh, I agree with what you said, the Browns at plus 170 on FanDuel, uh, a great value as far as I'm concerned right there. The Ravens still ahead of them in that race. And by the way, I'm just going to mention it. The Chargers plus 450 to win the West. I know that's crazy, but um, about the NFC East then, um, do you like 
the Eagles trading back as they have? Do you, do you think that that's the savvy play? I don't necessarily love them rolling for the year. It would seem that they're going to now with Jalen Hurts. Was this uh, was this the right play for them? And does this open things up uh, in the division for Washington? Or, or, or who do you like in that division with that trade back in the commitment, apparently at least to Jalen Hurts in Philly? Yeah, I, I do kind of like the move for them. I think it's a long-term move and they set themselves well set themselves up well for next year i think you know we all treat it as if there's five first round quarterbacks available so they're kind of interchangeable right and just get one and move on but the eagles they obviously didn't think that way or at least they didn't think that all five of those guys represented a clear and obvious upgrade over jalen hurts zach wilson was reportedly the guy they loved and once it became clear they didn't really have a shot at zach wilson they were basically out on this quarterback class. Um, and if you're going to do that, then yeah, trade down, pick up an extra first round pick. And now you're in a position where, all right, look, I, I don't love Jalen hurts, but I think he showed enough flashes last year that you can give him the job and, and it's not crazy. And you can basically ask him to prove you wrong, right? You've got talent, you've got the arm, you've got the ability go and show us that you can be a starting quarterback with the year that we're going to give you. And if you can't, if you don't pan out, now we've got potentially three first round picks next year. So regardless of where we pick, we've got the ammunition to come up and go target a quarterback that will be our, our future. So I think it's a good hedge for them. It's it's realizing that they didn't really have a shot at the quarterback. They love this offseason and making the best of it, saying, you know, punting this year with the the hedge that Jalen Hurts might actually prove everybody wrong. And if he doesn't, you're extremely well positioned to go fix it this time, you know, in 12 months time. Yeah, there, there are divisions in pro football that have high-end quarterbacks all over the place, um, and uh, and that looms as scary. And you try to keep up with the Joneses in that regard, but in the NFC East, you're keeping up with the Daniel Joneses. I think <laughs> – I think Dak Prescott is by far and away the best quarterback in the in that division as things stand. So uh, in a quarterback league, I'll ride with uh, with uh, the team with the star on their hats for this year. Um, real quick, what do you think about the the changing in numbers thing? Like now receivers and DBs and running backs are going to be allowed to wear number one. And specifically, what is the best number for a quarterback and what's the best number for a skill position guy, a receiver slash running back? Uh, I, I hate the idea. I hate the idea of just mm. this free for all of whatever number you feel like within chaos. Like a, yeah, within like a 50 number range is OK. Like that. It's one of the things that separates the NFL from college where, you know, defensive linemen are out there wearing number two and linebackers are wearing 23 and you can't work out who's who from the, the number on their back. That was one of the great things about the NFL is even if you, even if the positions were a little bit muddled in terms of alignment, you had a pretty good idea of what position a guy was just from his number, right? You didn't have mm -hmm. to anticipate weird number guys lining up in strange places. Um, or when they did, you were, you, it was obvious that this guy was, you know, a linebacker playing in a weird position. It was, it was noticeable from the numbers. So don't love it at all. Um, it may be, you know, this is a proper get off my lawn, old man yells at cloud kind of thing. But yeah, kind of, kind of, Sam, it is. But, but why? Why? Why do we need to do it? Why? <laughs> what? What does it make better? It makes some things worse, even if they're just crotchety old man gripes. 
But I don't see that it makes anything better. Well, the slippery freedom. slope, we better never have a quarterback wearing like number 73. Because that would be too far. I, I'm I'm down with it. If people want to do it, have their fun and all of that. We've already, I mean, too many receivers now wearing in the teens. You know, I, I, I think yeah. uh, it's cute when it's a high-end player. It's when the ham and eggers start getting in on it. That's when I feel like, who? I don't think it's your place to do that, friend. I don't think you're... you're <laughs> I don't know who you think you are running around in number 17 out there, but, but you haven't earned, like you kind of got to earn the single digit or the cool number. If you're going to wear that in pro football, I kind of hear you. Yeah. Um, so as for the best number for a quarterback, I think it probably has to be 12, doesn't it? Like there's well, a in terms of good, his, historic yeah. success. Yeah. And I think that's a good number for it's a good it look. It's a quarterback number. It looks like a quarterback number. It's a good number. I think for QB um, receivers, I mean, obviously, something in the '80s. We've got to, we've got to be there. Um, I don't know. I think I've always been partial to '84. It's, it's always a good one. I think it's got a good aesthetic to it. But you know, something in the '80s, I'm happy. Okay, and uh, you know, aesthetic adjacent is uh, is food. And like I mentioned, and uh, you know, from Ireland to to the U.S. and something we talk about here. I don't know if you've been watching Stanley Tucci travel around yeah, the world, travel around Italy. That. Yeah, it's very good. It's very. I'm, it's a formula that you can't do wrong. Just somebody eating food. And yet, I don't know why it works, because you would think that the result would be outrage. Somebody else <laughs> is eating delicious food. I don't get a bite. And yet I can sit and watch it endlessly. Um, if we did that, what do you think Sam Monson's conclusion would be if you went around the world and you had to figure out not how Americans do Italian pizza or Chinese food, but stuff that, you know, more or less originates on that soil, which nation has the best food? Wow. Um, You're a worldly man. I would think that this, uh, I've turned to the right source here. And by the way, I said, what, because you're in Cincinnati. What about the weird chili? You're not into that, are you? No, I tried it once when we moved over here because it was, you know, the thing that people have to do and I won't be trying it again. I mean, very strange. It's not I mean, for start. Yeah. For a start, it's not chili. We need to stop naming it that it, it just I don't know what it is, but it isn't chili. And we should really stop with that kind of slander like that is an insult to chili. It's something completely different. Thank you. Um, and then the worst part is when you get to St. Patrick's Day and they somehow dye the spaghetti green to make it look even more no. horrendous. That's, that's bad. Yeah. Um, honestly, so I don't know that there's a country that has like just the best food. I think as long as you, there's a lot of countries where if you just stick to what it is they do, you know, instead of the, the things that have been imported or the prepackaged stuff, you just go to that country's uh, natural resources, you're going to find good food. So Ireland gets criticized for its food, but you go find, you know, real Irish ingredients. So meat, cheese, fish, Scotland, same thing. Um, whereas Italy, obviously, they've got pasta and all those kinds of things. In the U.S., you go find barbecue places. You know, anything where that country is doing it based off the stuff that's around them. Um, Asia has got some incredible food. I'm, I think you can't go wrong with most countries as long as you stick to the right things. 
look at that. See, that's a sunny outlook. I'm trying to create division. You're bringing us Don't together as one me. world and saying we all can do it. Yeah, that, I, I like where your head's at here. Except on Roethlisberger. That's, you're, you're willing to make exceptions and bring the world together. But on Roethlisberger, no, you're putting your foot in the ground. I respect it. I like it. I'm already anxious to see how the AFC North shakes out in 2021. And otherwise, in the meantime, make sure you're following Sam along with uh, with his great work over there at PFF, uh, all the gang over there, really entertaining and insightful stuff. We appreciate the time and hopefully we can do it maybe uh, sometimes before things uh, properly kick off and we have a, a fuller picture of what uh, of what all these teams are going to look at uh, for look like for week one. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. There he goes, everybody. Sam Monson. Good stuff there from uh, Sam Monson. Good. I uh, wanted to catch up with him for quite some time there, Eddie Spaghetti. And uh, I have a question for you about your favorite game, the game of music. Um, but first, let me tell you about another game that's getting going. It's, uh, well, I don't know if golf is a game. Is it a match? It's a game, but it's a match. Probably a, a match, but a tournament. Yeah. It's a tournament is what yeah. it is coming up. It's called the Masters and people like watching it, myself included. And one of the best things about golf is the gimme putt. It's a sure thing. So if you want to start betting on golf, FanDuel Sportsbook has a gimme lined up just for you. New users can get 20 to 1 odds on Dustin Johnson. He's a good contender there. Rory McIlroy, another fine contender for uh, to wear the green jacket by Sunday night. Jordan Spieth. Newly relevant after his big victory just to make the cut at the Masters. I said to make the cut. Did you hear me? You'll get 20 to 1 odds on three of the world's best golfers just to make the cut. This is a this is what you call a good bet, everybody. The three guys I just named are good at golf. And even among um, the high-end golfers out there, them making the cut is a fun bet. It's engaging for Thursday and Friday to watch them get over, and then you can put your feet up, count your money, and uh, see who gets to put on the green jacket. Like I say, by the end of the weekend, you can win $100 on just a $5 bet. Not much better of a gimme than that one. And when you do win FanDuel, will pay your winnings in as little as 24 hours. The world's best golfers can it off April 8th through the 11th. And there are even more ways to win with America's number one sports book. Again, just create your account using the promo code FanDuel.com slash minus three, the word minus the number three to get those 20 to one odds. And if you're looking for picks there, me and Sal will give you ours on, uh, on the next extra points and on against all odds, uh, the, uh, the degenerate trifecta and Sal are uh, are chopping this chopping this thing up uh, six ways to Sunday. Um, so get in on that one. And Eddie Spaghetti, I said I had a question for you. Yeah. I uh, Kurt Cobain hit mm-hmm. the uh, his death and Lane Staley. The anniversary of that was just yesterday. It was. It's weird that everybody dies. All these rock stars die at twenty seven. Who would you pick to see in one last concert? Because you have Jimi Hendrix. Also, yeah, that's the answer. Jim as Morrison much, in the doors. Janis the Joplin, doors would be fun. And Janis Joplin. Yeah, Brian Jones. Amy Winehouse, too. Wait, who else? Who else besides Brian Winehouse? Jones, Brian right. Jones. The Rolling Stones. There's a lot of people in 27 Club. Um, yeah, I well, mean. I told you uh, I saw Kurt Cobain and Nirvana play live. How that's really that? cool. That's how that, old I am, Eddie Spaghetti. That's that's very cool. I um out of the the major four Seattle bands, Nirvana comes in fourth place for me for a number of reasons. So no, Cobain would not be my pick. Um, not saying I would not want to see him, but just they would not be my pick. 
Lane would be Lane is like as cool as it gets. I love his voice. He's arguably my favorite um, entity from Seattle. But I have seen them live. I have met Jerry Cantrell live. So I think because of that, I would Why, go. This is all, you're going Jimmy. Also, Hendrick. also a Seattle guy. And my dad has seen Jimi Hendrix live. And I mean, he my dad was at Woodstock. If I could like go back in time, like with my dad at Woodstock and see Hendrix, like that's the pick. I mean, his videos are think just what what he did so early on in the '60s, like with his guitar and innovating it. Not that weren't guys like obviously you know George Harrison and Eric Clapton and stuff, but uh, Dwayne Allman. But you but Hendrix was just so he was so much better than everyone at guitar that he literally had to take the wrong hand of guitar and flip it upside down. Like that's how good he was. And he's um it, it's 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 I love his catalog is so deep and there's just really no one like Hendrix and what he did in the sounds he created. So I think it's, it's Hendrix for me. I will do that too. And I recommend to you, if you haven't heard it, Eddie Spaghetti band of gypsies, uh, his record, there, uh, very bluesy live record is, uh, is gangbuster stuff from, from Hendrix. And there was talk of him recording, I guess at the time of his death, uh, he was talking with miles Davis about doing something that would have been, um, a fascinating listen. That's for sure. It also seems to me, he died in what, 71? Hendrix, 70? Something like that. It's weird that, so he's from Seattle. He's a born and raised Seattle. I am always struck by the fact that like when I meet like a 78-year-old man or an 83-year-old person who who is born and raised in Seattle. See, it's, it seems like the West Coast um, outside of maybe LA and maybe San Francisco didn't really exist until, you know, about 1978. Is that or 77? Is that fair? No, I'm, I'm. I mean, yeah, it seems that it totally seems that way. It's weird that you forget that he's from Seattle. He died in '70, actually, in in London, so he was overseas. Do you think that there's? Uh, do you think that there is like an 80 year old man named Todd who's from Seattle, who was born and raised in Seattle, right now? I I, I think not. It became Seattle. I mean, once like 1991 hit, uh, like that's when Seattle was started. It was just like the grunge movement. Something like that. See, to me, it was when the Seahawks got there. The needle popped up. Right. That was it. Um, All right. Well, Seattle's getting a hockey team, and we'll see how they do. Phenomenal city. Love it. Yeah, it it is a wonderful place, but uh, that division um, currently or in the future is of no import here. No, we keep our eyes focused on the East Division, the Mass Mutual, Gangbusters, Division of Death, all that. It's time for a breakdown of the division with spaghetti and meatballs. All right, welcome back for a, another edition of Spaghetti and Meatballs. Eddie Spaghetti here with my pal, Mikey Meatballs. We're doing an early week edition one. I'll post a picture of this, but I'm going to just cut out in front of it. I am back to not wearing a jersey. I look like a schlub because I lost to Meatballs, who is now wearing a Florida Panthers jersey. We were just discussing the Panthers uh, off air. Have a surprisingly really good team this year, but they are in a in a weak division. Do you see them being just quickly? Do you see a bonus edition? Do you see them being a, a threat deep in the playoffs, or you just think that they're a product of a a weaker conference they're in? Both. I, I don't know. They're usually a playoff team uh, in the East, but I don't know. Barkov's been playing really well. They had they do have some a solid team. It's not like they don't have anyone. Yeah, and if your Isles and Nettles lose, ball. you can root for them. Anyway, we'll get to our third start of the week. 
The first one is a little bit of news and notes here dealing with the fourth place in the playoffs as of now, the Boston Bruins. Yarrow Halak on the COVID protocol list, and this is after Tugaras has been injured. Uh, he got injured in like March, early March, tried to come back, wasn't feeling great, and then has been sitting out since then. So he's been out for quite a bit. With the goalie issues on top of the, obviously the Bruins had to deal with the COVID protocol stuff with some forwards and defensemen uh, about a month ago. With this in the final stretch run, with about a month worth a month's worth of games left, do you see the Bruins surviving this goalie kind of uh, struggle here and and holding on to that four seed, or do you see potentially my Rangers or the uh, the weird Flyers taking that that four seed from them? I I hope Boston doesn't make it. I'd rather see the Rangers or the Flyers in the playoffs, only because if a matchup came down where. I'd have to play either one of those teams. I'd rather play uh, Philly or the Rangers. So oh, kind of, I kinda, yeah, I kind of, I kind of hope they don't survive. So, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, obviously if I was in your shoes too, if you see the, the Flyers are just the weirdest team. It's like, yeah. I sure. Let me, let me match up against them in a series all day long. The Rangers, I could see Rangers can go one of two ways they could be, Oh, they're young kids. They don't know any better and they can get hot. Or it could be they're young kids. They're, they have no idea what they're prepared for with, with playoff hockey. Uh, if there's one team out of those three that have plenty of guys who are prepared for playoff hockey, it's the Boston Bruins. And mm-hmm. you have to assume that, that probably Rask would do everything he could to try to get back, if not Halak. Halak should be, you know, if things go smoothly, he should be back relatively soon. But again, like I said, it's it's only a month's worth of games left. So if they start slipping up, they have two games at hand on the Rangers. They lose those, then, you know, they're in some serious, uh, some serious doo-doo. But yeah, when you have guys like Patrice Bergeron and and, and Brad Marchand and Pasternak and just these vets that that they're going to score, they're going to they're going to play tough Bruins hockey both you know defend both ways and you don't want to see the other team in the playoffs so I as much as I want to be offended by you saying that I totally actually agree with you I think that it would make sense if you're the Islanders you don't want to see the Bruins in there and unfortunately with the two games at hand I would give them the slight edge over the Rangers and especially over the Flyers to to hold them to that, that four seed so we're kind of uh, in locks up there together so moving on to our second star of the week here Meatballs, you just kind of broke news to me a minute ago about the interesting move the Sabres are doing tonight there. You said they're they're going to bench Taylor Hall tonight? Yeah, according to uh, Daily Faceoff, Taylor Hall will not play tonight. So That may mean probably one thing, right? That it may be a trade time coming? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I mean, Paul Mary the other day also didn't play. Um, right. I don't know if he's going to be playing in the future for the Devils. So that's, you know, that, and his agent came out and said he's, he's not playing because he's going to be traded. So I'm assuming the same thing for Hall. Sure. I mean, the NHL is now becoming the NBA. You have these guys, these star players who they don't want to play because of, you know, obviously, well, the team aspect of it is if they get injured, you can't trade them. And then the players, obviously, uh, if they're on these lowly teams, they want to go to a, a contender. So the question was going to be, and this definitely helps uh, my answer, at least the last few games, the Sabres have won. You know, they beat the the Flyers. They beat the Rangers. They only been losing by one goal. Not, you know, we've been pushing here at minus three. When you head to fanhood.com slash minus three, you got to, you know, Sabres goal in half. You got to always take that. Uh, they're not because they're not going to they're not going to come close in these games. And they've been keeping it really close. I believe since well, like three weeks ago and end of near the end of March, I think the Penguins beating a four zip was the last time they they actually uh, were blown out in a game like, like we were used to all season long. And now with the training deadline approaching, 
can we still bet against the Sabres? Or, you know, are you going to say that the trading deadline is going to come, they're going to be depleted of all talent and just get back and hammering that? Or do you think they actually found some kind of, you know, rhythm here and they're going to actually pick a couple wins? Uh, I don't know. I'd say their their compete level is there, I guess, a little bit more than it was. And it has looked that way. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. And when you lose so many games in a row, you know, it's got to even out at some point. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not the rest of this year, but I, I don't know. I'd say it's probably – probably done betting against them for now yeah i i know i want to it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the trading deadline because i was thinking of alternate options here if we want to throw out some of these these picks you know we do our picks as well if it's not the sabers then is it the flyers or the devils devils at home especially haven't been good is it one of those two teams i don't know maybe it's boston really maybe start betting against Whoa, boston maybe, maybe boston. they start to slip, maybe yeah, they start the to slip a little bit with the goalie situation, I mean, that's no, that's not a bad one. That's not a bad one. I mean, because um, for Philly, I'll say um, Carter Hart against the Islanders the other day, he, he played great. I know they lost in a shootout, but he did play yeah. great, and he looked like maybe he figured it out. And Elliot played played all right against the uh, the Bruins yesterday. So, wow. I don't know. All right. that's oh, I, I love that take. I mean, we'll, yeah, you'll just keep following, uh, you know, at minus three pod on Twitter, fanduel.com slash minus three. We'll pump it up. Maybe you'll start seeing some anti-Bruins picks from us. Uh, that'll be That'll be something else here. Anyway, moving on to the first star of the week here. Colorado Avalanche are just an absolute beast of a team. 15 straight games, uh, 15 straight points in games. They're right now at, I believe, 56 points tied with the, the Florida Panthers who you're wearing. They have one less loss than the Panthers, and I think one less game played. They're as good as a team could be right now in the uh, whole NHL. And to tie this back to our division here, is there a team or teams that you would feel confident matching up in a series uh, well with the Colorado Avalanche? And I'm crossing my fingers that you say, yes, there's one team. It is the New York Islanders, and they're going to defeat them. Well, that's my answer right there. It is oh, the New man. York Islanders. I think, you know, when it comes out to playoff hockey, everyone's pretty much equal. And I think, you know, while okay. you've, you've watched enough hockey where you know that, you know, anyone can be beaten, you know, in a seven-game series in hockey. So – a guy, you know, coach like Trotz, he'll come in there. He'll know what to expect. And he'll, he'll you know, you have guys like Adam Pellick, Ryan Pulak, who could, who could shut down that first line. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with the Islanders here. That's, I mean, look, I, I respect it. I appreciate that, uh, you being a diehard fan. I will say this Colorado team was quite scary, obviously, with McKinnon, Lannis Cog, Ranton. I mean, they have, like, almost like 10 guys that have scored over 20 points this year. It's insane. They only like a handful, less than a handful, like two, three people on the team have like a minus uh, plus minus rating. It's like, how is everyone good? Um, But that's the one really fun thing about this NHL season is we're just so, and I like it. I know that Sal said plenty of times that he doesn't like that. It's, you know, the, you know, the Sabres are playing the honors eight times in a row. People get bored of that. I like it. I like the rivalry. I like that. I know so much more about these teams and I'm sure you feel the same way, yeah. but that's the weird part of like, Oh, when the Panthers come to town or when the lightning come to town or when the, the, the avalanche obviously come to town, the Knights are really good too. It's like, you don't know what these teams are, are going to throw at you because there's no, they haven't played each other. There's no, there's no film. There's no, yeah. Oh, in that game, you know, this happened and we could uh, target this guy, you know, whatever. There's just, it's that's, that's the real mystery of what's going to happen going forward here. But yeah, I mean, look, if there probably was a team to do it, I, I probably would agree with you. It would be the Islanders. I think they're the best, most complete team right now in the East, but man, oh man, that, that ass team is scary. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm i uh, I'm not a biased Islanders fan. I will, 
if they're bad, I will say they're bad. I have no problem uh, admitting I'm not confident in them beating them. But the only team that would really uh, scare me, I guess. I was just going to ask that. I was going to say to wrap it up, what is the one team that you don't want to see ever? Tampa Bay. Okay. And I think that's that's the usual answer for all Islander fans is, yeah. is Tampa Bay. They're, uh, Makes sense. Well, they're PTSD. just a team. Yeah, yeah, they're a team that the Islanders cannot seem to beat. I don't. It's a mix of speed and and Victor Hedman is an Islander killer. So avoid Tampa, and I think we got a shot with anyone. All right, Eddie Spaghetti. Listen, best wishes to your blue shirts. They need it. And how the mighty Pittsburgh Penguins looking to bounce back after a little slip up in Boston. Still tracking much ahead of uh, the curve. All the cynics thought the Pens might miss the playoffs. It looks like they still have a shot at the number one spot in the rugged division. Um, good stuff from you and Meatballs. We thank Sam Monson once again. Make sure you check his work out on PFF, and we'll be back in just a couple of days with our pal Kevin Hench to break down the weekend upcoming for you. Until then, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. <laughs>